Hello, welcome to the Tall Street Digital Podcast, where every week we discuss search news and break down topics in SEO. I'm Cord Blumquist, and I'm joined by Einar Johansson. Hello, Einar. Hi, Cord. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, let's, let's, get, let's get started. So uh, we talked about uh, Brighton SEO and different SEO conferences last week, and I thought I would just let everybody know That's that right. to, today and tomorrow, um, you can essentially re-live stream, uh, or I guess they're they're basically playing out what was done at the conference last month um, in kind of real time um, this week. Now, so you're partway through the day already, or almost the end of the day, because I guess they're quite a few hours ahead of us here uh, where I am on East Coast time. Uh, but there's also a package to be able to um, just buy a replay of, of everything. And I think you get to rewatch that stuff for like a year, something like that. Um, so I would check out um, october22.brightonseo.com um, for the talks there, because there's lots of stuff that's very useful, ranging from the kind of theoretical to the hands-on. Uh, so we bought the replay pass. So we haven't watched things this week, but I think I will start watching stuff on the weekend. Um, yeah. We talked about news um, news relating to AMP last week. So AMP is Google's uh, Accelerated Mobile Pages project. Something that we discussed was started, I don't know, I think around 2015, something like that. Um, and last week we covered that Google has removed references to AMP in its own documentation about... Um, I think maybe the news carousel or other parts of page ranking. So they're, they're essentially just saying that they're, they're removing these references to AMP because they're moving forward to a new standard. And that standard is core web vitals. As of June, 2021, uh, Google has said they're no longer judging you based on AMP or not to be featured in the search carousel. And that's when you type in some topical word, um, war in Ukraine, something like that, it will show news articles first, and then it might show some broad overview article or even a Wikipedia entry or something like that for whatever the topic might be. So it used to be that you had to have an AMP site, you had to have these accelerated mobile pages to rank there. Now you just have to have a sufficiently good core web vital score. And um, I think that I think that a lot of real world results show that if you're a sufficiently gigantic news site, you don't even have to have that. Uh, so. Mm. But Search Engine Journal has been doing this series called Is It a Ranking Factor? Uh, and they gave a breakdown of AMP, talked about what AMP is, why there's, you know, what evidence there is that AMP is a ranking factor. But there's evidence against uh, AMP being a ranking factor, uh, namely in Google's advanced SEO guide, it says AMP itself isn't a ranking factor. Uh, that's pretty definitive. Okay. But it says that speed is a ranking factor for Google search and Google search applies the same standard to all pages, regardless of the technology used. So that's a new stance uh, after that change in 2021, where they gave us a different way of measuring if we're measuring up uh, through core web vitals. So AM continues to, de to decline. Um, fewer and fewer sites are using it. Uh, now Twitter doesn't recognize AMP links. It it loads the sort of non-AMP version. These things run in parallel. Uh, AMP runs in parallel with whatever the, the main 
content management system or template set might be on a website. Uh, so Twitter no longer supports the use of AMP links uh, and treats them uh, just redirects people to the to the publishers' domains the same way that um, that Google News does now. So, oh okay, yeah. So their conclusion is, AMP is not a ranking factor. Uh, we've we've moved on to a post-AMP world. AMP is a ranking factor only in so much as it influences your site speed and other core web vitals measures. And with lots of sites, especially lots of clients that we're working with, they have really fast, good, responsive mobile pages. So uh, I think it's time to just abandon that or get a plan together to just like let AMP slide away at some point in the future. Uh, I know this is still a bit of controversy with some of our clients, even who are hesitant to, you know, get rid of anything that could possibly hurt their future performance. Um, but but it, it it seems like it's just it's fading into irrelevancy. Yeah. Um, what just uh, for those that may not have used even used that or know what it is, uh, how do you identify it as a user? And uh, not as much relevant now, but just yeah, you, those... you might you might see a slash amp at the back of the at the end yeah. of the URL, or a slash you know question mark equals amp or some some either a query parameter mm-hmm. or a slash amp at the uh, at the end of something, and so you're sort of getting a, a separate version of the page. Um, it, it used to be that you also saw. Um, a kind of a declaration that you were on an AMP page when you were on mobile. Okay. It show you that you were at, you know, uh, amp.com slash CNN or something. I think it, it used to actually redirect you to a different like Google domain. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, now the way that you would see it, I think typically is that you have slash AMP attached to the end of things. We have a lot of clients that never, ever adopted it. Um, no, no. Yeah. So, you know, like clients that we've, that we've started working with in just the last couple of years. Uh, so people who are kind of new to optimizing to SEO and and want us to take a look at things, um, they never adopted it to begin with. So it's kind of nice. It's like, well, now we can, now we can get you set up to where you are appearing in Google news. You don't have to have AMP uh, to do that. Um, yeah. I mean, but- I personally never worked much with this. I mean, we did have clients that had this already when we started working with them. And I mean, at this point, I don't see a point to going too much into AMP. But I'm just thinking, maybe I'm misremembering, but I feel like with some Google results, when I was using Google, I would uh, click on result and I would still be under some, just under Google. That's not AMP when I'm like, it seems like I'm under that is AMP domain or something. Yeah, right. yeah. You they were essentially uh, fetching those pages and serving you right. from Google itself, and, and and that sort of program allowed them to do all sorts of things. Like if you loaded up a, as as your news results, you're scrolling through them. It could be prefetching certain assets mm-hmm. from those news sites, so it's even faster. It's sort of loading things in the background. Yeah, um, but, but 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 of course, the thing that people don't like about this is well. AMP, but Google isn't used everywhere. Lots of, especially mm-hmm. gigantic news sites are international and they have to cater to people who are not using Google. They may be using Baidu yeah. or Yandex or other search engines that are more popular in other parts of the world. Um, mm-hmm. And I think no one feels super comfortable having to cater to 
one provider of traffic. Um, I, I think it's the same reason why it, why things have been unpopular, like the recently sunsetted Facebook subscription thing that they were trying to do to kind of compete with Substack. Yeah, I don't know if you saw anything about this, but it was another thing where like hmm, you just have to format stuff in a certain way, and oh, you're going to make this content exclusive to one platform. There wasn't an exclusivity with AMP, but it was a sort of bending over backwards and maintaining a separate like parallel code base and shipping all this stuff off to Google specifically just to to rank higher in in Google News. And I guess I shouldn't right. say just for for many publishers, it is the single largest source of traffic for them. So Google definitely had leverage over people, but it it, it still seems like it, it kind of violates these principles of we want to have an open web that anybody can access. You know, Google indexes that. It makes a very useful tool through its index of that sort of thing. But we don't want to be publishing stuff directly on Google. That changes from Google being a kind of an overarching thing on the open web to more of like a closed garden like Facebook. Yeah. I garden. <laughs> I never yeah. really liked, uh, if I'm not misremembering, like I said, like I never really liked how the URL would start with Google. It seems like a branding issue. I know not everyone's looking at the URL, but it's still, uh, well, for me, it's a bit off. Um, do you know at its peak what the adoption rate was for him? I mean, uh, massive, now? massive among massive? publishers. Um, okay. But now, I don't know what the I don't know what the sure. adoption rate is now because AMP was really only an issue if you wanted to be featured in that search carousel, just to that, get in, yeah. in the news carousel at the top of search. Um, get news uh, out as fast as possible. Was that the main motive? Yes. Uh, yeah. Direction? Yeah. Yeah. People are, okay. and, and when you th think about, okay, if if you're going to read a technical manual about something, you might not be reading that on your phone on the subway in the morning on your way to work. You know, I used to use the the metro system in DC, and you'd read on your phone. What else do you have to do, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So, so certain sites, it just it didn't make sense to say, well, you you have to use um, you use AMP, but news sites are especially used on the go, and it makes sense for them to be very fast because someone's looking for an answer to a topical question. So, yeah. So Google focused right. it on on publishers. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and other type other types of publishers like a lyric site isn't going to appear in that news carousel. So I think it was just very very clearly focused on news. I don't so, know what the yeah, adoption I, rate is now, so. but when we read when we read other folks working in the publishing space who work with giant news publishers, um, Condé Nast and so on, I think um, I, I forget the name of the fellow who's uh, head of SEO over at Condé Nast, but look for SEO at Condé Nast on Google. And I, I think they're dropping it as quickly as they mm. can. So they, so they just don't have to maintain all of it. Yeah. I mean, just with our quick search, I see like the overall figure seems to have been around 0.2% of all websites. But like you said, it was mainly intended for publishers. So I, I don't know what the number was there. I, I believe it was high because, yeah, I, I did see... Yeah, big. What should we say? Publishers, uh, that are clients of ours that they they've had it for some time, and yeah, yes, and yeah. I, I now I now base I consider all of our clients to be publishers when when we have a yeah yeah for sure when we have a think tank that has two thousand yeah. pages, 
they're mm-hmm. just in a different class of website from doing search engine optimization for a business that might have a blog with a few yeah. hundred entries and basically 40 product pages that they're trying to get people mm-hmm. to. You know, there, there's just a difference in it's not only a difference in scale, but it's kind of a difference in kind. You have to start dealing with Yeah. We're we're so focused on categorization and uh kind of cross-referencing things and, and ways to put taxonomy onto stuff. This is just not a concern of lots of people out there in the sort of regular corporate space. Um, no. So anyway, I mean, long story short, this proprietary thing that people were annoyed with uh, has is still officially supported. Google's still updating it, uh, but it just seems to be less and less of a priority. And and now it's just sort of another valid way to make uh, a site that performs well. So. If you don't want to yeah. use it, I'd say don't use it. And it's, it does seem like a pain to to maintain that parallel product pathway. But um, I thought I'd talk about something related to Core Web Vitals that I think we touched on a little bit last week. And so mm-hmm. I, I added an article on it to our show notes. Uh, and this comes from web.dev. And if you don't know about web.dev, it's a um, it's a it's a web dev resource that Google itself maintains. Uh, and and a lot of it is focused on the sort of core web vitals, like web performance issues. And one of the things that they uh, have talked about in a, in a recent article is uh, optimizing loading with a thing called priority hints. So I've, I've talked about in past, like corporate trainings that I've done um, using, using things like async um so maybe I should give some background. A web page is, is composed of lots of different elements. It's pulling in the HTML text. It's pulling in JavaScript. That JavaScript is often referencing things that are off-site. Let's say it's loading in a Google Tag Manager or Google Analytics, or maybe it's going out to an ad network and pulling things in or some other third-party resource. Uh, you might even be grabbing images on the site from a CDN. So what to the user looks like, I'm loading a web page and it's at this website is really an assemblage of resources from all over the web. It's like a crazy amount of stuff that it's putting together. Uh, and there can be all these little performance performance problems because of the way that web browsers work. Uh, web browsers primarily work sequentially, but there are some things that they can do in parallel. Um, so that might mean that if your website is requesting some third-party resource, um, an image from your content delivery network or you're trying to load Google Analytics before you load other things, uh, that the browser has to make that connection, grab that content, and then resume kind of creating the rest of the page. And that's why so many websites have this thing where you load the web page, and um, Google even produces in the tool called Lighthouse a little film strip that sort of shows you mm-hmm. a s- kind of half second by half second or maybe quarter second by quarter second how the page is loading up. And many pages are just white. So you get you click on right. the link, it loads the page, and it's just white, and then suddenly stuff starts snapping into place and it fills in, and that's because it's it's making all these round trips to all these other places, trying to gather resources so they can finally start what we call painting the page, which you know making something that you can actually see. Um, so there are ways of dealing with that where you can say, hey, pre-connect to this, create that connection to that third party in parallel, like in the background. So that when you get to the point in the page where 
I'm going to ask you to go out and get those images, or you're going to need to go get that JavaScript, whatever it is. Uh, you'll already have the kind of the line is open. You've got them on hold on the phone. I don't know what the best uh, analogy is for people who aren't technical who are listening to this, but but it was a way of taking advantage of the browser's limited ability to do some parallel processes to make the rest of it fast. Well, now you can go even further by using a thing called uh, fetch priority. So fetch priority okay. are, a, are they're a markup based signal. Uh, it, there's this new fetch priority, all one word attribute that developers can use to indicate the relative priority of a particular resource. So let's say one of the ways that Google is judging you in core web vitals is largest contentful paint. And for many of our publisher clients, that means the big old image at the top of the page that's right by the title of whatever the thing is. So you load up a blog post, it has an image at the top, you load up a, a report, it has maybe a big splash image at the top. You can set the fetch priority on that resource to high or very high or highest. There's different documentation here. You know, I'm not going to go through all of that. I'll, I'll link to this web dev resource. But this allows you to prioritize the load of that without having to reorder the way that, that uh, things are in the, um, in the code mm. itself. You know, you can yeah. just sort of set these priority levels. Now the yeah. browser is smarter. It's going to fetch that thing first. And what this means for the for the reason why Google is concerned about all of this and why you ought to use it, you're going to get a better core web vital score. But who cares? What's the score mean? The score, Google is scoring you on this because they want users to have a good experience. So if I get to the site and the site shows me the stuff that's at the top of the page first, so I can see it, start interacting with it, start scrolling through and reading something, all the other stuff can load in the background, and maybe it, it it might only take a few more seconds for it to do that. But in the meantime, I'm happy as a user. I'm scrolling. I'm moving my thumb or finger up and down the phone, looking at things. And now Google Analytics is loading and sending that information back, noting that I visited that page. Um, maybe images and other resources, a video embed, whatever, that's way further down the screen is loading quietly in the background. So it just makes sense that we want to show, we want to load first the things that the user will see first, and we want to load last the stuff that can basically be in the background or further down the page. And that's a, a super easy way to improve those scores without having to, you know, back in the day when we were just judged by page, page speed, we just had to like get rid of elements. And that makes no yeah. sense, right? It's fine for the web page to continue to load. Who cares if the web page takes 12 seconds to load if if the user is unaware of the fact that it's continuing to load in areas of the page it cannot see yet? Um, I'm so curious anyway. like, how this uh, works in, co in coordination with... So lazy loading has been part of the web for a long time. It's not uh, native to the browser, uh, as far as I know anyway, um, but it's very common, right? That's where your browser will not load images that are not visible on the screen, which is not exactly as uh, it's not exactly as uh, what would you say accurate? Like, yeah, because it's using specific images, even though they are visible, you can still say I want to prioritize this one. Whereas face loading is only deferring images that are not visible. Um, and lazy loading them. is doing that through JavaScript, right? Like JavaScript's trying yeah, to determine. True. 
what's visible in what we call the viewport or the the part of the page that can be seen in the window or the phone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would say that, that this maybe obviates the need for lazy loading. Um, right. I, I guess lazy loading still has the advantage and it doesn't load the resource at all. If you never scroll down the page to get to it. Um, yes. So maybe this is a, co- a combination yeah, you can use this in combination with lazy loading. I don't think that they're they're mutually exclusive or or conflicting, but you no, may find that, that, so. that this solves your problem well enough, and so you don't have to use uh, both techniques. Um, but anyway, th- this is verging into the like quite technical, and I don't want to bore people. But yeah. uh, but look at web.dev if you're interested in it, uh, and it's something that if you're going back and forth with a developer about how to make something perform better and you don't want to sacrifice elements of the page uh this is a way to to solve that problem without you know you, you don't have to make a, a choice there as to what you want to include yeah so. well speaking of google documentation i'm trying to work on these segues they're getting pretty good um <laughs> google has gotten rid of webmaster guidelines and we now have search essentials so I don't think this is an, uh, just a name change. They also basically completely relaunched um, the guides for folks like us who are interested in websites. So part of the logic here, I think, was that webmaster is sort of a weird term that nobody uses. Nobody says, I'm a webmaster. No. Um, so uh, you know, webmaster used to kind of imply the person who, I guess, was was doing the technical implementation. Maybe they weren't always the web developer, but they were the person in charge of a website. Um, You know, now at most companies, the websites, it's probably hard to say that anybody's in charge of the website. Maybe there's a product manager out there. We would call them that. Um, But there's, there's people who are editorial directors. There are people who are doing digital PR. There are people who are doing development and there's SEOs like us. Um, And, the guidance on search essentials is, I suppose, primarily written for SEOs, but it's really written for anybody who's interested in how to make their their website perform better in search. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Google has now um, simplified things, and Google's they've broken out the content into technical requirements, key best practices, and their spam policies. Um, you know, so it will it will give you basic advice on. To make sure how to make sure Google block Google bot isn't blocked, you know that they can crawl your page. Uh, how to see that the page works? How to see that the page has indexable content? Um, you know, best practices include things like use keywords that people would search for and place them in prominent places, like the titles and the headings and the alt text. Uh, mm-hmm. And they go through go, they go through importantly all the spam policies uh, that they have. Um, you know, what is content scraping? What are sneaky redirects? What are thin affiliate pages? Uh, so I recommend folks uh, check it out. If you're not familiar with that stuff and you work in this sort of field, like you are concerned about doing uh, digital PR and getting your getting your website noticed on Google, uh, it's not the most fun read, but I think it's a very understandable read. And I think they have changed things because web.dev exists now this is more really about what are the what are the requirements like what does your how does your website have to perform versus how to get the website to perform that way right 
you know, like anybody watching uh, a, a, a car race can understand, you know, you've got to go fastest and come in first. That's the goal. How you do that is a very different technical question. Um, so yeah, there's a place to go, to go look at that, to see if you're compliant and it, it is readable by pretty novice eyes, I think. Uh, do you want to talk about these, the, the, the spam update from Google? Oh, spam update. That sounds good. It's never enough spam protection. Yeah. I don't know anywhere. exactly. I don't know exactly how this differs from everything else. Cause presumably every ranking update yeah. is trying to derank spam. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, okay. So for this one, at least it affects all languages, which all updates don't. Many of them only affect English, but for, for our clients, that doesn't matter, I suppose. And for our space, not so much, but, um, yeah. So they're yeah. saying that this, this is a major, major change to how spam brain their, their AI based spam prevention system is going to kick spam results out of search. So I guess it is different in that, um, uh, unlike the useful content update or the September core update, which which is just rejiggering um, ranking, yeah, I I think that this might be just excising things from search entirely. So it's not just down ranking this page; it's like you're out of the index. Um, yeah, that's my thinking on this. That's not super clear. Um, no, but it. <laughs> Yeah, it seems to be for because I mean, let's say let's say for example, the we talked about the um, helpful content update and such, where uh, if I remember correctly, they were atta uh, attacking, they were um, addressing um, commodity content, and that's not really breaking guidelines, is it? Commodity content, or is it? It's just not I good think content. It was I mean, if something isn't helpful to a searcher, it seems to me like it it starts flirting with the definition of spam. Okay. Um, I, I suppose spam could be something like a bait and switch. I mean, the way that they that they described helpful content was it's um, a pretty thin line, though. Like in yeah. case of genius, it's just because they provide uh, interpretations for the lyrics. Otherwise, it's the same as all the other sites. But still, the main content is the same. Like, whereas this is something, uh, it sounds like basically malicious, isn't it? Not malicious, I don't know. It's something that doesn't have any value. In as, well, lyrics do have value, but I'm not yeah. sure. I, I, think the I, way that, I think the way to think about it is that uh, it is more of like a bait and switch tactic. So uh, yeah, okay. helpful, helpful content may be, uh, okay, this is related to the thing that you just searched for. But it's not that helpful in that it doesn't bring anything new to the table. Maybe it's just repeating something. Um, from another site, maybe it's using AI tools to kind of rewrite another article and Google's getting better at seeing that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas the spam might be, um, addressing, it has enough related to whatever it is that you just searched to where it could rank yeah. for that. But then it's trying to sell you some other product, something that's adjacent, but not quite the same thing. And it's really mm -hmm. there for just like blatant commercial purposes. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's the difference is it's a difference in, in, in quality. Essentially, I think that the helpful content update was getting rid of mediocre quality stuff, whereas this is getting rid of extremely low quality stuff. 
Yeah. Uh, but but what we saw, they still haven't said if they if they did some sort of soft ranking update in the um, second week of October. But at least I've seen for a half a dozen of our clients lift in the last just 14 days or so Mm -hmm. where they're going up and up and up. And we haven't, you know, we've done stuff for many of these clients, but not, not um, it's notably on sites where we haven't been publishing site-wide changes or where site-wide changes went into place kind of a while ago. And we saw a lift from those already, but now suddenly there's just a second round of boost. Mm-hmm. So on, on quite a few, I've seen things where it's it's not only do I look at Search Console and see that oh traffic went up twenty percent that's nice, um, yeah. It's it's also things like wow I go into Ahrefs rank tracking and we have people going from or or certain key pages going from rank thirty eight you know stuff we've been trying to push up the rankings to now it's in position nine. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's pretty cool to go from page four to the, the bottom of page one. We're making solid progress there. With many others, they've they've also just had um, intra page one position changes where they've gone from four to two or three to one in some cases. So, yeah, that's super satisfying to see. So, I, I think the 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 lesson for for folks listening at home is keep following best practices. Don't try to do trickery. Don't try to do um, gray hat or black hat sort of stuff where you're flirting with the the line of acceptable practice. And when Google releases these updates, you don't have to sort of like quake in fear. You should just be able to sit back and either see, you know, you weren't really affected by it. It's not made a negative change. Um, or you get this little bonus because Google is filtering out people from whatever niches you occupy who are producing, you know, mediocre or spam content. Um, so some other notable changes. Uh, Google has said, um, Google is now showing uh, site names in mobile search results um, for the uh, seemingly for the entire web. So when you search for, especially when they're, um, sorry, I'll uh, gather my thoughts here. They're using they're using site names uh, and a and a favicon um, rather than just showing you like the URL. So uh, usually the the search result format is a URL, a title, um, the mm-hmm. description, and now they're they're pulling in these sort of favicons and showing kind of the name of the property and then the name of uh, uh, only the, on mobile you the said? title of the site. So so they're they're making a lot of changes to mobile first before they okay. roll it out to desktop. So I saw this article from from Search Engine Journal, and then. I saw from search engine land uh, a couple days later um, that this is maybe rolling out across across the web, especially for homepage results. So if you search for a brand, um, you know, you search for search engine journal. I'm going to see if it works right now. Yeah, on, on desktop, I'm still getting some pretty plain results. But they're they're kind of bringing that if you if you look down the page, however, on on the Google search results for the search engine journal, you will see the uh, the featured news carousel, and that does show the little SEJ logo, like they're pulling in the favicon, they're putting search engine journal above that, and that's that's um, the site name and structured data. That's not the title of the homepage. 
because the title of the homepage for Search Engine Journal is Search Engine Journal SEO Search Marketing News and dot dot dot, so it gets cut off. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they're they're taking advantage of. There's now so many websites that have this nice structured data, have favicons in place, maybe even of multiple sizes, uh, that Google can move on from the typical format of URL title description into site title nice little image like more things i think are going to look more more formatted so it's not as though we're in the days of just of scraping raw html files and just making the best of whatever cruddy information that we have and instead mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be putting a nice display to structured data that's delivered in a nice yeah. way to- i'm looking at this on on mobile now i was wondering if it's only for select users but it looks like it's might be for everyone already on the on the mobile app at least all right, very cool. Um, yeah. So, do you want to talk to us about uh, changes to to WordPress six point or, or changes to WordPress? And WordPress is now at WordPress six point one. So WordPress six rolled out just a little while ago, and now well, we're at six point one. Yeah, six point one already is is coming in November. Okay. They're, they're bragging about it already. I guess. Uh, well, it's, it's pretty technical, but overall. Uh, uh, this uh, piece is talking about how the p- performance of WordPress hasn't really improved this year. Well, um, s- similar CMSs have uh, improved a little bit, like Drupal. Um, well, the other names here are not much used in our space, I think. <laughs> but uh, you, people probably heard of but, Wix and Squarespace yeah, and Doodah. Yeah, and and actually, but, um, a lot a lot of the groups that we've worked with have spun up like a Wix or a Squarespace site when they do some sort of special campaign, um, or maybe they have like a donor event and they just yeah. don't want that to appear on their website. So I think folks have seen that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this should be said that these numbers they're talking about here, where these CMSs have improved this year, and WordPress hasn't. WordPress has just been, uh, uh, yeah, around the same. Uh, Web providers, I guess, over the year, but uh, it's across all websites, right? Um, and I suppose so. In, in this six point one record that's coming uh, now in uh, yeah November, they're saying that they're making some drastic performance changes, such as a big one is uh, caching off. Well, I don't want to get too technical, but caching off uh, what's called WordPress query. This is just how you get things from the database. And the thing is, I think I should say that so WordPress does power most websites on the web, right? I think so. Like yep. if you, and if, the thing people is, in the, in the think tank space, it's, uh, I think according to our last study, it's like 60%. Yeah. Uh, which, which makes exactly. sense because people in the think tank space need a proper content management system. They have a lot of content. So, Mm-hmm. The only reason that WordPress only powers 30% of the web overall is that lots of websites don't have a CMS. They're just, pu- they're publishing HTML or, you know, they might be yeah. some, some funny little service here or there. There's, but 30% is by far the plura- plurality. So 30% mm-hmm. means they have the most websites in the world run on WordPress and everybody else yeah. is, there's just like tiny little pieces of the rest of that pie chart 
so yeah, uh, sorry, the exact number from our last study was WordPress made up 55% of the uh-huh. uh, think tanks in our study. And our study was of, um, what was it? 398 different uh-huh. Mm, yeah, between three and four hundred. I don't remember something like that. Under five hundred, yes. I think. <laughs> yeah, hard but, to commit so many numbers to memory uh, when we're dealing with numbers yeah. all, all day long. Yeah, uh, three hundred and six in the last study. Yeah, I'm not really sure if, uh, like, I'm going to control my excitement or if I should call it that. I'm not sure how much is this going to affect uh, the like public policy groups or you know, our clients that use WordPress because so these numbers are talking about overall and they're comparing with even Squarespace, which is a centralized CMS, right? You're not mm-hmm. installing it yourself. As far as I remember, I mean, WordPress, yeah, it's not, it's probably not great by itself, uh, in terms of caching being fast. Um, but there are plugins to help you do that. And there are some WordPress hosts that help you automatically. Be well prepared. Like WP Engine has, you know, object caching for everyone, and so and so on. So if you look at all websites using WordPress, I mean, most probably most of them are not going to be using any of this. They're just running WordPress. You know, if you're taking every single site, um, so, while I think like sites um, in our space and our clients, they have already you know, uh, optimize things. So I'm curious if this is going to make any dent. Yeah. So you're saying that there's, there's like layers of optimization in front of WordPress, these caching plugins, or maybe it's a content delivery network that has its own cache. Um, yeah, in this case, essentially essentially it doesn't matter how fast the database is because whatever the web page is, is generated once that's saved and, and whatever the technical implementation is, it serves up to the end user who's visiting the website a saved super fast version of that site. We can do that now, but where this may benefit folks is using the CMS might be faster. So if you're logged in to WordPress and you're actually writing a post or saving something or querying something within the database itself, doesn't hurt to make something Um, more pleasant to use. We've certainly had some client sites, especially where, when they have like a quarter of a million posts on them, um, where using it is slow. Uh, yeah. Even when they're running on a really great server, because there's just, you know, using querying big sets of data is slow. Uh, when, when there's not caching at sort of every level of the software stack. So we could see some benefit there. Make I'm sure slightly more pleasant. But I feel like this is more just going to help WordPress numbers compared to all these other CMSs so that they are improving across like over tw- uh, 2022, but maybe less impact on yeah someone who already has done their best to optimize the site. And I'm not really familiar with like Joomla and I mean, Wix is centralized, so easy for them to just optimize across everyone. So yeah, it's kind of a, I guess, I don't know, Dura, but Joomla is probably the only, <laughs> Joomla and Drupal, they're comparable, I guess, to WordPress. They are decentralized. But I know. Yeah, so you would um, install yourself on your own server. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But but it's also interesting to see that all of them are focused on this performance now. That I mean, Google laying down that law saying, okay, Mm -hmm. we're going to start judging you based on core web vitals. 
it really did yeah, force the industry right. to get its act together. Like Wix made really dramatic um, changes. I remember reading in the lead up to that. So reading in early 2021 that, that Wix was publishing and trying to get ahead of this before Google made core web vitals, a measure that was going to incorporate into ranking uh, mm -hmm. because imagine how much of a nightmare that would be for a company like that, that let's say you did build your local business site on Wix or Squarespace and then your rankings just gone one day. I mean, Wix could lose tens of thousands of customers. Yeah. You know, they're operating at this scale. So it was like super important for them to catch up. And they, to their credit, optimized the daylights out of their out of their code. Um so you know good for them. It, it just shows that that Google is putting this bar out there. We're going to measure you like this. Now granted if everybody is performing poorly in a space your core web vitals could stink and you'll still rank well. Um, but everybody's pushing forward on this measure. So um, if that's something that you see in Google Search Console that needs to be improved, you know, talk to us, talk to a developer, talk to somebody, um, but work on improving that because the whole industry is pushing forward on it. Mm -hmm. um, okay. There's, there's two other mini issues I wanted to talk about. Yes. I, I didn't know if this was, you know, you just sort of, sort of take some things for granted. And it used to be back in the, the bad old days, like 2007 using WordPress that you would mm -hmm. uh, put in a list of places to ping when you updated content and WordPress yeah. would send a little signal out. And so you could use like Pingomatic or these other different things, these different services where you would essentially you publish a new post, it would alert that service this new post with this title and this timestamp has been uh, updated and it would send that stuff out. So we talked about timestamping and how Google, sometimes uh, a publisher will update a piece or they publish a brand new piece that hasn't been online at all four minutes ago and you Google it and it comes up on, on Google in the featured news carousel, but it says four hours ago or four days ago. And somehow Google's getting mm -hmm. timestamps wrong. Um, so I was looking more into this issue and and thought I would bring this up. Um, that if you install um, an SEO plugin like Yoast SEO, um, it is pinging. That pinging feature still exists. And it's pinging uh, Google and Bing when you publish a new post um, and it, it sends the URL of your XML sitemap saying, hey, this sitemap has been updated. And so potentially this is happening with many of our clients like dozens of times a day. Um, mm -hmm. But if you, um, you can, you can go in and disable this if you, if you want to. So I, I'm going to include in the show notes, a link to, um, to yo. So if you ever wanted to disable this feature to diagnose something, or maybe you want to, to run, um, you're running Yoast on, let's say, a staging site. Um, and even though you might have the staging site where it says, don't crawl this in robots.txt, uh, it may still be sending pings to to tell Google to check out a sitemap that it then in turn cannot crawl, which might be kind of against best practice. I don't know. Uh, yeah. We don't want to just be messing with Google and sending it all these false signals. So I thought that was interesting that the pinging thing still exists. I thought maybe that was irrelevant or. Um, just kind of reminded me, oh yeah, that mechanism exists where we are reaching out and talking to these services 
um, in a push notification sort of way rather than just relying right. on visiting that XML sitemap. And the last thing is uh, topical authority. This has um, come up in discussion, I think, recently with clients. So I just added it to the show notes. But I wanted to point out this um, uh, an article by uh, Bill Slosky. And uh, Bill passed away earlier this year. And um, uh, uh, lots of sort of touching tributes. I, I didn't... I've read him before, but didn't have a chance to meet him or really talk to him even on Twitter or anything like that. Um, but people often called him like the Dean of SEO because he was just so knowledgeable on things, but he had a habit of, um, he monitored Google patents and pulled them apart. And so one of the working theories that we're always talking to clients about is, is topical authority and uh, that Google looks at the topics that you cover it might parse your website apart into several topics. So especially think tanks who might be covering things as diverse as tax policy, health policy, <laughs> defense policy, you know, so you have one page that's talking about developments in us tanks and another one that might be talking about vaccine efficacy. And the other one's talking about alternative minimum tax. And it's why we, we talk about making it super clear that you have these separate sections so that Google can judge you as separate sections that are all focused on a specific topic rather than just sort of a website that's a mishmash because then your website isn't about anything. Uh, if these things are all sort of co-mingled and there's no way of figuring out like, what are the themes here? You can imagine it's the difference between having a bookstore where there's a clear like biography, fiction, you know, even a fiction section that gets parsed apart, like mystery, science fiction, historical fiction. It's much clearer to see what they have to for sale there. Mm -hmm than a place that just has a big section that's labeled books, right? That would be a fairly useless bookstore to go into. Yeah. So yeah, yeah in, the, in this article, which is now a couple of years old, um, uh, Bill broke down how uh, Google finds those sections. It figures out what you're an expert in. It assigns quality scores to those separate sections. So it may say, well, we think you're a nine out of 10 in defense policy, but you're only like a three out of 10 in public health because you haven't written much on the topic. Right. That kind of Makes sounds sense. like a lot, a lot of people over the last <laughs> few years, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's going to rank you according to that. And and there's there's some interesting little threads to that too, like how Google is looking at not only the website, but it's ranking the people who are writing on that website. So you may not be seen as a a huge expert on a certain issue, but if you bring in somebody who's a, a recognized expert, you still can have content rank for that topic. So um, let's say you've never written about health policy, but you bring in a former FDA commissioner uh, and someone who's a hospital administrator and maybe someone who's worked in the field of infectious disease for years, and they are known people. Um, they're known to Google. They're sort of, they're on the knowledge graph. Google knows who they are. You may still be able to get that article to rank, even though traditionally you've only written about, um, you know, tax policy in your state. Let's say a state think tank is trying to put together a, a statement on what it thinks a reasonable COVID policy is. They could still rank for that if they get people with authority there. So the, the breakdown of these patents shows that Google really is looking at this stuff. They're calculating scores based on these things. So it's not just, um, what have I heard people uh, call this? 
there there are these sort of funny derogatory terms for the the bullshit that a lot of seo people traffic in you know we think google works like this so yeah Mm -hmm. are we 100 sure that the algorithm is doing this at all times in all cases no but we do know that google is filing for patents that allow it to parse data in these ways and rank things in ways that seem to totally make sense given their publicly stated goals too like everything in this patent lines up with what they talk about in the quality raters guidelines you know you're looking for people who have expertise in a certain issue is the website an authority on this are the authors an authority on this like google's asking quality raters to find to ask themselves that question and 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 rate uh sites accordingly um, and that would make sense if they've got an algorithm that's trained to find the very same things. So uh, anyway, I'm going to include that in the in the notes for people to check out. Um, All right. I think Bill breaks it down in an interesting way, um, and it's it's worth revisiting that work and and thinking about how how that affects um, your writing. And I think for our clients, it's kind of underscores the importance of getting structured data right. And, and making sure that it's very clear to Google that if there's a co-authored piece um, or if something has been authored by one person and edited by another or authored and reviewed or whatever it is, we want to make sure that all the contributors to a certain piece uh, are there because their credibility and authority lends to that page's credibility and authority. Yeah. All right. Well, we really covered the gamut this time so uh, yeah that was a lot of stories yeah all right well we'll be back next week we can't promise a slimmer show we can just promise that we'll be just as insightful and as formative and informative as we were today so until uh next week this is Cord bloomquist and uh and our johansson <laughs> that's right <laughs> see Saying, you next um, week yeah <laughs> bye bye